0: and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. That, by the way, is Arabic for after his hair went white, he <laughs> went to school. Huh. Uh, meaning, in effect, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. We will see about that over the next few weeks, as we have two back-to-back races in Bahrain with different configurations. I'm Drew Scanlon. Joining me, Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny?
1: I'm good, I'm feeling um a little bit sentimental about Formula One this week. It feels like i am uh my plate is almost empty. I've eaten a delicious meal, and I'm trying to enjoy the last few morsels as much as possible. so uh very happy to be here.
0: also joining us, Rob Zachney. how are you Rob?
2: uh Not doing as well as I was before I learned that my data was going to be capped uh next year oh, no. so I'm, I'm a little heated they They finally found me. Uh, The Internet Monopoly is going to be charging me for the sweet, sweet gigs. uh, And as such, I'm going to have to keep these podcasts briefer. Yeah. Um, I just I've got my little bandwidth monitor up now and uh, I'm afraid of like we're going to have to hit a gigs budget uh, on shift F1 because that's the world we're going to live in now.
0: Oh, boy. Uh, well, if you are new to this podcast, uh, a very warm welcome. And if you are new to Formula One itself, we recommend listening to our preseason primer episode, uh, which assumes no prior F1 knowledge and explains how the sport works and who everybody is that year's primer uh, this year's primer, rather, is episode 96, so you can go back and listen to that if you like. Uh, also, the show is supported entirely by our audience over at patreon.com slash shiftf1. Every month, we release bonus podcasts and videos over there exclusively for our patrons covering racing documentaries and films, F1 video games, primers for other racing series, and a lot of weird things. So if you'd like to support the show and get access to all of that fun stuff, head over to patreon.com slash shiftf1 or click the link in the show notes. What have we got going on this month, Danny?
1: Doubleheader uh, this month with the uh, the Pixar Classic Cars is currently up there and Hitting the Apex, the MotoGP documentary starring Brad Pitt, or at least his <laughs> voice, um, is going up uh, very soon as well. So there's two this month. And of course, if you become a patron, you get access to the entire library of bonus podcasts, perfect for the off-season. So if you've held off uh, until now, um, who knows? Maybe the best time to do it is uh, when we... We wrap up after Saudi. Wait, after why did I say Saudi Arabia? That's not. Yeah, when is the next? That's next year. That's next year. Uh, you're getting ahead of myself. Uh, Yas Marina after Yas Marina. Maybe that would be a good time to settle in uh, over the holidays.
0: Uh, indeed, uh, that's that's why I you know continue to. I, I'm holding out hope that someone this is their first episode and they're going to go back and listen to the preseason primer and then watch the whole 2020 F1 season over the holiday break and then. It get always the happens. It always, always yeah, it does. Yeah, we've had yeah. people
1: go back and listen to previous seasons primers because they mm-hmm. only got into F1 like this year, right? And they'll go back and and watch and listen along then. Um yeah. it's amazing. It's good stuff.
0: Good season to do it. It's been weird. Um <laughs> so let's just get right into the weird, shall we? Actually there's <laughs> kind of just the opposite. Not a lot of news happening this week as the uh, as the sport winds down. Um but looking ahead uh, to next year and years after that. Um, what's uh, what's up with this first story here, Rob?
2: Yeah, uh, so the direction of F1 right now is to make sure we all get more F1. Uh, now, you might be thinking, that's great news, I love it, I can't <laughs> get enough. And for one, I was once like you. <laughs> uh and then Mercedes started winning every year and I started to like look forward a little more to a new season. Uh there there's F1's never better than when we're re- racking Uh but the uh, the other issue is that there's there's kind of a tension um uh, developing between Liberty Me- Liberty Media mm. And a lot of the teams, uh, Chase Carey, who's stepping down from active leadership of formula one, like right now, uh, said that the plan, uh, as they're going to a 23 race calendar for 2021, uh, their goal at, you know, in the next couple of years is to get that calendar up to 24 races. And that is this was already supposed to be the longest F1 season uh, in history. COVID obviously changed that, but that's what we were on track for. Next year's is going to be longer, and uh, the long-term plan is to get to 24 races. The issue with that is a lot of the teams are beginning to sound alarms about that being kind of an untenable workload. Um, It's not just that it does make it more expensive and complicated to run a team over the course of a season, but there's just a lot of concern about the amount of travel days now for the racing teams going out to these events on weekends. And Total Wolf was saying, uh, you know, I think the teams are the beneficiaries of growing revenue and income. In that respect, we all need to support uh, for the business to grow. On the other side, a couple of triple headers will take a toll on the people. I think there is an Asian triple header that will mean that we are more than three weeks away from home, and that is certainly not something that is great. Um, Andrea Seidel has uh, sounded uh, made made similar statements. Um, Gunther Steiner has also spoken to this effect uh, in a very Guntherish way, uh, also mentioning that, uh, you know, yeah, we we overwork people chronically in F1 anyway, as it is, uh, but this will all make that worse. And we should be smarter about how we're asking people to be overworked. Um But this seems like it's going to it seems like it's gonna become an issue. Because for one thing, a lot of the teams do not want to adopt what is the most obvious solution, which is basically have different travel teams uh, that you're mm. operating, right? Like an A team, a B team that are alternating races or something like that. And their position is, for one, there's a lot of positions where that just doesn't exist. Uh, you know, track side strategy people, uh, chief mechanics, you can't really have two people filling that role and just like alternating weeks. And so you do have a core of people who are required to be at every single event and uh, for, for whom taking, taking a race off is really challenging. And then you have uh, things like pit crews mechanics where a lot of people who are selected for the travel side of an F1 operation are selected to be that for a reason, right? It's not like anyone can just be a good, you know, pit crew member. Uh, and so there's not a lot of appetite for finding alternates for every single pit crew position uh, because that that causes issues. So the the obvious solution for the teams is not one they're really keen to adopt because uh, it involves a lot of complications that can't really spread the weight out evenly. And also, you know, there's an undeniable element of all of this begins to point to just it making it more expensive uh, to field an F1 team uh, across across a season. And everyone has already said these these triple headers are, are real kind of backbreakers. Um, you know, we, the one we've had, I think we've had two this year. Um, and I think at the end of each one, you had a lot of teams and drivers commenting on on how rough it was. Uh but nevertheless Liberty has it within their rights to go to like twenty-four races and by God they're gonna do it. Um but That's so many as well. Try.
1: Yeah. Like like to give a bit of context to this, I kind of went back just to kind of take a look, re-familiarize myself with how many races we have had sort of historically and how that has changed over the past, you know, couple of decades. So you had like in 1985, there was like 16 from most of the 90s, you had 17 races. They went up to about... So in if I go to 2000, um, you, you start to see it expand just a little bit from like that 17 up into like 19 uh, races. So 17 was in 2000. 2005, I think, was 19 races, which is a decent jump. If we go to 2010, you're then starting to get into... Like, kind of closer to where we are now, where you have uh 19 races that kind of held firm for most of the 2010s. 2019, we had our uh first uh 21 race, so it went from slowly, I think it was about 2018 or so, we got up to 20. 21. This year was supposed to be 23, was it before COVID happened? We had 17 in the end. I think it was 22.
0: So, cause 22, that
1: sounds, yeah, a bit more. Yeah. So the rate of expansion is also going up. And also we're at the sort of red line of the amount of time you have. So it is like, it is kind of drastic. Like 24 is outside of the comfort zone for F1. Um And also like a lot of those races in that 17, like a higher percentage of those were in the European theatre, as it were, right? Whereas now we are actually going to a lot more remote places, which is cool, but it it does shake these things up, especially if we're keeping the same old calendar, right? Bahrain works with Abu Dhabi right now. It's actually a good fit. They're like right beside each other. But Bahrain's usually the second race of the season. So like, and and they don't seem to want to change that at all, do they, Rob?
2: No, it it seems like they're pretty they're pretty hellbent on making sure that the season will always have its big ending uh at the indoor arena that is Abu Dhabi. Um I gotta hate that track. It's like Levi <laughs> Stadium. It's like if Levi Stadium was uh, you know, a, a racing circuit. But I, I think the I remember those seventeen uh race calendars I do remember always feeling like, man, I wish there was a little more F1, but that Mm -hmm. also meant that F1 always felt special. Good season, bad season, you know, always felt kind of special. You do begin to saturate, I think, a little bit um, the interest level. And also, I I do not think it helps that it's not like you're going to – it's not like for – 23 races 24 races you're going to these like cathedrals of motorsport increasingly it it is like well and here's who paying us here's who is paying us to stage a race uh this week and here's a circuit that you probably won't remember and probably won't give a shit about um and that's and and that is also a problem like it's you're you're embracing a lot of venues that aren't necessarily adding a ton of excitement to uh the sport
0: What do you guys think the sweet spot is in
2: terms of number?
1: I think like we're probably, we're probably at it. Like I feel like the 20, 20, 20, yeah. yeah, That's kind of what I feel like.
2: 20 to 22, I think was where I was like, I remember last year having this conversation already looking at, at ahead at what was going to be the longer schedule. And I think we were all kind of feeling like, boy, this season has felt a little long and another race is going to make it feel even longer. Um, yeah. And 23 just wasn't even something on our radar at that point. Uh, so I, I do kind of feel like 20 to 22 was was kind of the sweet spot. Um, and that's not the world we're going to be living in.
1: And And I think what I've learned from this year more than anything is that the number of races is definitely important. But the races themselves and the variety of them... Yeah. Is is so? This year has had so much like fun and excitement, and what's going on? Because we're we talked last week. Rob was saying about being in the the wrong uh, sort of places for the the weather, you know, wrong time of year type of thing. Mm-hmm. What's happening? But with Bahrain, the week after next, when we have to like change up the it's like a needs must. We're changing the configuration of the track. Like that's what I'm going to miss from next year more than anything. It's just how random everything was like we're going through these weird circuits so it's almost I think the thing that I I kind of feel now is a little bit like I wish there was a bit more variability even like it's hard to do that because I'm sure because the 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 reality of commerce if you're signing a contract with a circuit is you're going to have to you know give them every year right like there's no world in which you can alternate like that it doesn't work but I think I'm going to miss that more than anything else it's just how every other race just seems to have something weird going on. Like it was the wrong time of year, or it was a track we hadn't been to in a while, or it was a classic track returning, or a brand new track. It was just so wild. And in a, in a way, next year might feel new because we're going to go back to a bunch of places. Like, I do miss Canada. I do miss Interlagos, Lagos. Um, but uh, I think that that variability really made this year watchable in a very interesting way. And you can't almost manufacture it, at least in the sort of commerce we you know the business world we live in, in in right now
2: well and just to mention one other thing i think th- this whole conversation might have a different cast if f1 hadn't felt so much like a mercedes victory parade uh the last few seasons Yeah, that's like true. if if you had more seasons uh you know like 2016 or uh, or so I think, or, or 2018, where Ferrari mounted a credible challenge uh, with the assistance of a slightly dubious uh, <laughs> fuel limiter. But nevertheless, it, it made for exciting racing. Uh, but I, I think at this point, like, until we see what the new the new spec of F1 is going to be uh, under the new rules, like the thought of doing this for 23 re- races uh, gets a little bit a little bit unappetizing and it does frustrate me a little bit when after we have such a good bonkers race like we had uh, the other week at Turkey, when you have so many drivers also complaining about how the bad conditions, the challenging conditions, Uh, weren't proper F1 racing Uh, (laughs) that a sort of resurfaced uh, track like that uh, in the wet uh, made drivers look worse. Um, F1 should be about uh, drivers looking their best and cars being able to perform at sort of the outer limit of their performance envelope. And yeah. (laughs) And I think that's, that's the other thing. Like if, if F1 is going to spend 23 races, chasing like hermetic predictable seasonal conditions, uh so that races are always warm, uh, you know, as as dry as possible. Um, I, I think that takes away from a lot of what has made F1 historically so fascinating compared to a lot of other series, which is that the weather can just turn on you and become a major character. Um and, and it's not
1: it's not like it was a roulette wheel in Turkey. Like no. the cream the cream right rose to the top. Like it was Hamilton's incredible Tire management that won on the race, like so. The it's not like you know. I I don't like. It is what you said last week about the whole. Once you started putting stadiums indoors, once you get rid of wind, once you start having astroturf, it like it it takes all those edges off, and those edges you know are are can be instrumental and can change the 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 course of a race. And you know maybe it's unfair or luck comes in, but like sure, that's 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 the way sport works sometimes.
0: Uh, well, from speculation about the calendar to speculation about drivers, um, just an update here on the 2021 driver market uh, to be yet confirmed. Uh, Lewis Hamilton, uh, which we'll get to <laughs> uh, weirdly um, Red Bull, of course, has not yet confirmed Alex Albon. Uh, apparently, they are waiting until after the season to make an announcement on that. Um and I guess hand-in-hand hand with that is Daniel Kvyat at Alpha Tauri, uh, which may be the landing spot if Albon is indeed kicked out of Red Bull. Mm. Um, Haas, though, also has not confirmed drivers. It is uh, rumored that uh, some Formula 2 drivers um, are... Rob's uh, are,
1: dog's making a shout for it there. <laughs> <laughs> Probably complains a lot less than Grosjean. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, for those seats, but uh, sort of waiting in the wings here, um, not only Sergio Perez, who was kicked out of uh, uh, Racing Point for mm. the incoming Sebastian Vettel, uh, but also Nico Holgenberg, who raced two races for Racing Point uh, this year, although Autosport.com has uh, uh, some quotes from him saying things have gone, quote, very, very quiet um, over his chances of earning a Formula One seat at Red Bull next year. Uh, unclear if that is also the same for Sergio Perez. Um, but maybe that's the big question. Yeah. It, so maybe it, it it is maybe then seeming like Sergio is number one, uh, and Hulkenberg would then be number two. Um, if there is a number two. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of what the status is. Uh, he says Hulkenberg does. It's a very, very quiet Um, at the moment, the reports have calmed down a bit and I think it will be a while before there is really any final clarity. The stones have already fallen for many teams. The cards are laid. I had my two race chances and used them as good as I could. Uh, I'm not actively involved now anyway, but of course I'm in contact with the people that matter, but, uh, not every week now, not every day. So, Mm. um, we shall see. It's the Haas one confuses me. I mean, maybe they're Waiting to pick up the pieces from this fallout, um, I kind of feel like if they were going to sign to Formula Two drivers, why wouldn't they have done that already?
1: I guess you can fairly late. We've had it before, right? Who got picked up? One of them got picked up really late. Was it Albon? Got got picked up late when he came in. I don't there remember. was one that happened like a couple of weeks prior to the season. It is funny though. I do wonder if like the Perez thing is interesting because Haas would love to have that that money coming in as well. But I don't know if Perez wants to. That seems like a last chance saloon. Just kind slam of. it. Yeah, that's that's a rough one to jump into. Um, he's not happy with the car, and you could toss up between like Hulkenberg and Perez as well. Um, you know, I guess Perez is maybe the stronger. When you had the two of them in Force India, though, it was kind of it was back and forth. Um, I just looked it up there because uh, they were teammates twenty fourteen through twenty sixteen in Force mm-hmm. India. Um, that's right. Perez was slower, consistently in qualifying uh, than Hülkenberg. And uh, Hülkenberg outscored him in 2014 and 2016 handily. Um, Hülkenberg a bit of a stinker in 2015 and Perez did better than him. So, I mean, that was a while ago, but uh, he has, you know, when he comes with the money... I guess that's 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 definitely helps but then Hulkenberg as well you could say I I'm, I'm sure he hasn't <laughs> I'm sure Perez has more podiums than him. <laughs> um he hasn't True. had a, a great time either so it's tough. It's an inelegant fit for both driver and team it feels like. It feels like maybe both of them aren't the first pick for some of the better teams and maybe the teams aren't the best pick for both of those drivers.
0: Yeah. Uh, I should also mention that the the rumored F2 drivers um For the Haas team are Nikita Mazepin and one Mick Schumacher.
1: Right. Mm. Uh,
0: Moving on, Rob, we have one more story here about, said Lewis Hamilton.
2: Yeah, uh, so he is still negotiating his contract with Mercedes, and a lot of that is still confidential. But one of the things he is apparently prioritizing in his his contract (laughs) negotiation is more work from home. Uh, he is, uh, you know, he, he is, he has said that the, uh, the, the, travel is getting wearying and, uh, he is, he's also just in a different place in his life. And so a, a comment he made is, uh, time well, the new World of Warcraft
1: and- came out, so he probably wants to, yeah, he's got a,
2: <laughs> what is it? Shadowlands? Is that it? Yeah his,
1: yeah. his raiding party is really, uh, it's on GMT and he, <laughs> it's rough, it's rough time wise.
2: Yeah, so he just, he just said, you know, time with friends and family are the most important. If we get to if if we get to start traveling more, I want to take my family somewhere and create memories with them and celebrate with them. Just being around uh, this year, I've not been able to see them, and that's just been the hardest. Uh, and so one of his one of his real focuses is to basically not have to be I gather at the factory or on quite so much uh, like press junket type stuff uh, for the team. So. Uh, Lewis Lewis Hamilton uh wants to join the work from home movement and uh and and see how how much an F1 driver uh can just remote in uh which which I'm excited to see.
0: <laughs> Speaking of uh, Lewis Hamilton I, I I guess I some British tabloids and um and an American tabloid ESPN's Twitter account uh F1 Twitter account which I <laughs> I have problems with, uh, I've been talking about or saying that Hamilton's due to get a knighthood for his, um, seventh <laughs> world championship. Um, although autosport.com actually applies some journalistic integrity to those, uh, rumors saying that, um, uh, Motorsport UK and a group of uh, members of Parliament have written to Prime Minister Boris Johnson, urging him to uh, Hamilton to be put on the New Year's Honours list. Uh, and the British Royal Family's official Twitter account at Royal Family Blue checkmark said, uh, <laughs> "Congratulations <laughs> to record equaling seven-time F1 World Championship title winner, winner Lewis Hamilton." along with a record number of race wins. What an incredible achievement! Exclamation point. Race car emoji. Trophy emoji. So, royal family uh, fans of emojis, apparently. Yeah.
1: Uh, But that's where that
0: is. Uh, And Hamilton, for, for his part, says, when I think about that honor, I think about people like my granddad who served during the war. I think about Sir... Captain Tom, who got knighted and waited 100 years for that incredible honor. People that are running hospitals, nurses, and doctors who are saving lives during the hardest time ever. I think about those unsung heroes, and I don't look at myself as an unsung hero. I've not saved you know. anybody. It is an incredible honor that a small group of people had bestowed upon them. Uh, all I can say is that standing on the podium and hearing the national anthem, I'm a very, I'm very very proud. I'm a very proud Brit, uh, and that, as I've said before, is really... Um, this really is like the most special moment to be able to represent, to be up there representing a nation. Nice. There's more work to do here in this sport.
1: Yeah. You know, yeah, you don't need an Irish guy talking about knighthoods. I'll just make a, will <laughs> just make a joke about, I don't know, Jimmy Savile or something. Um, I, I think, yeah, he's, 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 he's done a great job of representing his country and for a long time. And he deserves to be, Uh, respected back home, and I hope he is. And if he, you know, that's a very personal thing, whether or not you are into that or not. Um, But uh, yeah, it's good that he's, you know, I feel like at least he's getting recognition and and applauded this way. It's weird. I feel like when you think, when I think about like other drivers who had like this dominance, I don't know if, I don't think everyone was feeling great about Shumi when he was like swept up his seventh. I don't think it had this um, well, I don't know this 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 kindness surrounding it or something. It felt a little bit, or maybe just because I'm not Tafosi, it it didn't feel that way. But it's interesting. No, I
2: I think there's like I think there's there's a couple elements to it. I mean, one is that uh, Lewis Hamilton is a black man in a overwhelmingly white sport, and that's going to change the narrative a little bit and the way people feel about him. But I think much mm. more important is really. Hamilton has had a much more likable run of championships that, that, uh, you know, Shumi had, um, you know, we've, we've talked about this, this a lot, but I think like Schumacher was edgy in ways that sat really poorly with people in the sport. Like there is no moment in Hamilton's career that is comparable to the team orders, uh, that pushed Rubens out of a race. He'd won fair and square And in the second place, just so Schumacher could be secure from any sort of title challenge uh, because the only one that he really had to worry about that year was coming from within Ferrari. That's funny,
1: yeah. Yeah, and so... Especially when you consider Hamilton's, in a way, maybe Rosberg's victory season probably helped the narrative of Hamilton maybe a little bit too, you know, and maybe humbled him as well a little bit, you know, made him an even better driver, I'm sure. Um,
2: Yeah, I, I think... You know, it's it's interesting. I think um, Hamilton's career has maybe had more uh, arcs in it in some ways, where you had the early success of McLaren, yeah. and, and then kind of a long time in the wilderness where, like, the car just wasn't competitive, uh, Red Bull was winning everything, and you sort of saw Hamilton go through that process of kind of trying to reinvent himself. Schumacher had this rise and it went to dominance very quickly, and then yeah. once he started getting competition again – it fell apart pretty quickly. And I don't think he did himself favors with, as he began to face down more challenges, uh, you started seeing a bit more of the poor sportsmanship coming out from him in ways yeah, that... Yeah, um, that's true. You know, it's tough to imagine from Hamilton right now.
1: Yeah, um, like Barrichello and the wall and the, the the lazy crashes in Singapore both those years. Like, there's a lot of... his Yeah, his later chapter stuff is kind of a little bit... Um, yeah, has more blemishes for sure. It's funny, and I think Hamilton definitely had seasons where he was not likable. Like he had scatty seasons with him and Button. Um, uh, you know, they had their coming together in Montreal. But I mean, and Button, you know, didn't get on with a lot of people. He, had, him and Perez at moments too. Um, uh, but uh, actually, at Bahrain as well, it was where they had that incident. But I, I think, um, yeah, I think you're right. I think the 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 rough years for him were are kind of in the rearview mirror. He's been. <laughs> i've I've warmed to him a lot more in the past couple of years, even as I've been frustrated by his dominance. Well,
2: I think Hamilton's unusual also and maybe this is a generational thing um of just sort of millennial overshare in some ways or doing your living <laughs> and and feeling in public in some ways um but when hamilton was was not having a lot of success, uh you would see him go through pretty public introspection in some ways and like trying to figure out like what was what was going on in his game. Um and I don't think Schumacher I think always went uh for that more remote, almost godlike image in some yeah. ways. He was you know, he was kind of an MJ like figure uh in terms yeah. of he you know, he was up there on Olympus and he was dominant, but in terms of like who was the man, like what made him tick, it was it was hard to see except in kind of, sometimes these unflattering glimpses uh you'd catch on the track. Whereas Yeah, he never and, showed weakness. Yeah. Yeah. He like the quickness like the way he went after Vilnev uh so quickly, <laughs> um at the first scent of a challenge and again, like uh got very sharp elbowed with him, um it didn't it didn't win him more respect. It sort of added the number of asterisks, asterisks, and crosses on his on his record. Um, and I don't think I don't think you have that as as much with with Hamilton. But the the other thing I'll say here is um, Hamilton's being very diplomatic. I think Hamilton's also of a stature of like, dude. Even the knighthood's prestige is enhanced by like Hamilton like bearing a knighthood <laughs> rather than the other way around. Like, you know, I think, you know, you, you sort of alluded to jokes you could make, but I think that's very true. It's like the peerage is kind of debased. Um, mm. For reasons, both good and just petty. Uh, you know, like <laughs> yeah. the minute, uh, the minute Mick Jagger got crowned in some ways, whatever the knighthood was, it wasn't anymore. It was starting to turn into a lifetime achievement award uh, for a, for an ex empire. Um, Right. And then with just the, you know, amount we now know about, uh, you know, the royal family and peers in the UK, it's like, is this really club that Hamilton is enhanced uh, by being a member of it? Uh, And he alludes to a lot of the people who've been honored for genuinely heroic deeds and uh, contributions to society. Um, And I think that's all very true. But also, those are often not the the peerages you, you, you hear about. Yeah, that's true.
0: Uh, But let's take it to the next race, shall we, fellas?
1: Yeah, let's settle in because we're going to be here for a while, folks. There are two mm-hmm. races happening here in Bahrain. They usually happen, uh, as I said, I think it was introduced. It was maybe the fourth uh, race at the time. It basically settled into a position as the second race of the season right after Melbourne. Um and it's been there for a long time. Bahrain's a weird one because to me it feels still like a new circuit, but it's been around since two thousand four. Um, it was one of the first sort of tilcadromes, uh, very much uh, designed with a spectator mindset. Um, it's not dissimilar from Austin in that way, in that there's really good sightlines around here. Um, uh, you know, it sort of undulates a bit, like the 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 dunes that surround it. I thought um, you were gonna say it's barbecue. A- barbie <laughs> yeah, really exactly, barbecue. Yeah. yeah they probably have a lot of jets as well actually in fairness um, there has been controversy around this uh uh this circuit as well around the sort of 2010 to 2012 uh, well, 2011 and 2012, I guess, were the two big ones um, around the time of the uprising when the Saudis were uh, trotting tanks across the bridge uh, that connects it to the the rest of the Arabian Peninsula. Um, there was one that was called off. There was a uh, protest by a bunch of the drivers in that regard. Um, they did race there the next year, but there was a lot of protests. Um, and then, you know, as is so often the case, everyone sort of settled back into normalcy and we've been there ever since. Uh, the 2014... Uh, There's a couple of ones actually I want to talk about. 2010, first of all, was when they did something, um, was when they they initially changed it, because this one's gone under a couple of different changes over the years. Um, They basically added the endurance circuit, as it's known. Um, And I mention this every year, uh, and I often get conflated with how often it was. Um, so today I sort of did the time to see exactly what the turns were and what years it was. And it was only the one turn. I, th- I It was only the one year. I thought it was two years. I thought it was 2011 and 2010. But from looking today, it looks like it might have been only 2010 where they used this circuit. And it turned it from a, it's a 15-turn circuit generally to a 24-turn circuit. But it didn't add lot that as much length as you'd think. It's just a very twisty, element of the track and a whole chunk of it after turn 4 is what we're going to be racing on next week when we go for the what we're we going to call it foval maybe um uh the god I'm so I'm so sorry I'm such a dad foval goes dad. east uh yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> 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 um
1: and the endurance circuit yeah it just added a bunch more of that sort of the sector An F1 to and one tail <laughs> um the 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 Sector 2 wiggly-waggly bit, which um, uh, I'll talk about in a second. But that was added. They've since removed it. Um, in 2014, they did the Floodlit for the first time, for the 10th anniversary. Uh, by that time, there was only one other race that was Floodlit, which, of course, was Singapore, which was introduced in 2008. So it was kind of a novel idea for them to add a second one. And they've done it Floodlit ever since. Um which uh, is beneficial in terms of tire temperature for sure. Uh, the uh, There's bunches of overtaking spots here. Um, there are three DRS zones as well, uh, at least in the configuration I'm going to talk about today. Um, uh, they are after, well, the, the three DRS straights are, there's the start-finish straight, which is actually significantly longer than most of the, the ones on the circuit. It's the longest straight on the track, and it's it's very, very long. Um, there is another uh, uh, DRS zone after turn three, so after the first little section of, of turns uh, right at the start, they're basically into a second one. So into turn four, there's a decent overtaking spot uh, there. Uh, you can also sort of be a little bit schemi down turn eight, which is in sector two, and... Um, Turn ten is probably the most difficult of all of the the, the turns. It's this downward sloping, high amounts of lateral load, uh, like corkscrewing left hander, which leads on to the second, or sorry, the uh, uh, third DRS straight. Um, and then there is also a massive straight at the back of the track as well. Yeah, you really could put
0: four DRS zones here, couldn't you? Easily.
1: So it's it's. And it also means that there's there tends not to be overtaking there because there's DRS in other spots. Um, but it what it basically means is it kind of um, like say China for instance. Um, what you have a lot of is a lot of uh, a high braking zone turns, which you also have here, which helps battery. And then you tend to have people deploying their battery always when they're defending on that back straight in China because it's so long. The thing about Bahrain is because there's so many places where there's DRS available and so many slow turns where it's possible to dive to in the inside, that it is tougher to deploy urs to defend because there's just more variability. So because of that, that sort of adds to the whole strategy of this circuit and why you tend to have more overtaking. And the fun thing about tracks where there's more overtaking is that when drivers know they're going to get overtaken, they stop driving like they just want to not be overtaken. So you tend to have races that are a bit more fluid, a bit more drivers driving their tires rather than just holding position, like, say, a Monaco, where you'll have Hamilton on zero tires for the last 20 laps who still manages to win the race. So Bahrain is a bit more variable that way. Um I don't know what the difference will be considering we're so deep into the winter time there. It does get very cold in that part of the world at nighttime, as most sort of deserty places do, especially near the coast. Um so who knows? It might actually be quite chilly. Um one thing that I wanted to talk about um was the differences between this and the next uh uh version, the fovel, the sort of the the 11-turn uh, version of this track that we're going to do, which basically cuts out Sector 2. That's that's what they do. You skip from the end of Sector 1 into the start of Sector 3 <laughs> um, uh, in this one. And Sector 2 is just a little wiggly road that sort of connects the two of them. Um, these are going to be very, 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 very different races. Um, the track we're racing on this weekend is 57 laps. The track next week is 87. Whoa. So it's a massive, yeah, massive difference. And we're dropping from 15 laps down to 11. 11, is that like the lowest ever? I can't think of a track that it has fewer turns than 11. Um, and also, almost all of them are <laughs> clockwise, because we don't have an arena <laughs> section where you, you have that, you know, we're going to see a little bit of, uh, you know, we're going to use the other tires a little bit. And it's very high speed here. So I don't know what, the, I think... To, this week's race is going to be a normal fun rain one. And then next week's when they do that one is going to be wild because the, the, the load you're going to have on one side of them is uh, one side of the tires is going to be very, very different to what we usually have. And then also instead of this 5.4 kilometer circuit, we have a three and a half kilometer circuit. So it's going to be fast. Yeah. Put um, the hards on the left side. Let's do it. <laughs> right? send that
2: rule for one race only, please. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> it's uh it's going to be interesting. Um, We'll have to see how it ends up, but this race should be fun. I don't know what what will happen in terms of weather. That's kind of the big question mark I have around it. Um, but keep well, your Danny. eye on the outs. Sorry, I know, sorry just because I know it's very complicated. And I hate I hate going into the detail on how these things look because I know it doesn't translate. When you're watching this race, look at the exit of turn four, which is after the first DRS straight. That's where it changes. That's where we enter what was that endurance section back in 2011, and that will be the Foval as we race it next weekend. Um Basically everything after turn four until we get to that other back straight won't be in the race next, uh, the following week.
0: And is it just like a straight line from four to what? 13?
1: No, it's this sort of weird wiggly. There's one, two, three, four turns in there. Um, the fourth okay. turn being, I get one, two, three, four, I guess the fifth turn it's not even a turn is the entrance onto where turn 13 is onto that back straight. It might as well not be there as a turn, but the other four turns, uh, I would say two of them are high speedish, almost like the S's in, um, Austin. And then the next two are much shorter ones of that. They're not very tight, but they're much slower, it's A right, slower so you're, section.
0: You're turning from, uh, a track that looks like a U from the top down to a track that looks more like a, an O or a square, a D maybe a yeah, square, but yeah. with a wiggly top.
1: But a wiggly top, yeah. All right, it's very, it's it's, I, I, it's going to be wild. I've they're going to be going so fast. Like, they're the only breaking point, the only real breaking point that will be on that second configuration will be turn one. The rest of them, <laughs> yeah. I feel like turn seven and eight are still going to be taking in fourth gear. Ah, uh, man, it's gonna be, and, and also the shed loads of runoff here. So I think they'll be very weird about track limits on the next one. Um, Yeah, we'll have to see. It's going to be wild. I'm very excited to see the... It'll either be very exciting or very boring. I can't tell which way.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of been uh, the, the par for the course for a lot of tracks this year.
1: Yeah, and I guess sorry, um, there was one other element that I did forget that we just realized beforehand. I don't know if it's going to make a difference, but the race next week is slightly earlier. The race next week is on at 10 past 5 local time and will run for two hours, which is just after sunset. Sunset in Bahrain at the moment is around 4.45 uh, 4 local time, um, whereas the Foville version is happening between 8 and 10 p.m. So,
0: Oh, it's uh, even later?
1: Yeah, it's even later. Wow. And so I don't know when the normal one was. I think it was closer to sundown than then I, it feels like the later one is is not the way it was before um yeah it's got to get pretty cold around 10 o'clock uh you know nine o'clock local time in bahrain in the winter
0: um well funny you should yeah. mention i'm looking at <laughs> uh, the saturday temps here and around 5 p.m race time still high 70s uh Fahrenheit or mid twenties Celsius and it doesn't really taper that much really? until about midnight where it's 23 Celsius, 74 Fahrenheit. Uh, that's okay. on wow. Saturday, uh qualifying day, and um Sunday maybe a degree cooler. Um humidity 50 60 percent. Uh winds uh, 10 miles an hour, 15, 16 kilometers an hour. Uh, for and picks up a little bit on race day Um, precipitation (laughs) not a whole lot Uh, 11 percent for qualifying day and a solid one percent for race day so they're pretty sure (laughs) yeah pretty sure uh tire wise we've got the the middle three compounds the c2 three and four um according to pirelli High asphalt abrasion, five out of five, uh, and mm. and low downforce here. So, uh, that's it for that. Um, driver standings should mention here: Lewis Hamilton, of course, has secured the World Drivers Championship for twenty twenty. There are a lot of other close fights going on. Valtteri Bottas in second with one hundred and ninety seven. Uh, Max Verstappen with one hundred and seventy. Sergio Perez is in fourth with a, a clean one hundred points. Charlotte Leclerc in fifth with ninety seven. Daniel Ricciardo in sixth with ninety six. Carlos Sainz in seventh with seventy five. Lando Norris, his teammate, seventy four points, and Alex Albon in ninth with seventy. Pierre Gasly in tenth place with uh, sixty three. Lance Stroll is in 11th with 59. Then we've got Esteban Ocon with 40. Sebastian Fettel with 33. Daniel Kiviat has 26. Nico Holgenberg holding Strong, 15th with 10 points. Kimi Räikkönen and Antonio Giovinazzi are tied uh, but with four points. Roman Grosjean has two. Kevin Magnussen has one. And Nicholas Latifi and George Russell have zero points. Uh, In the constructor standings, Mercedes uh, also has secured their championship with 504 points to Red Bull Racing's 240 in second place. Uh, Racing points in third with 154. McLaren uh, has 149, so that's a close one. Uh, Renault's in fifth with 136. Ferrari has 130. Alpha Tauri, a bit further down in seventh place with 89 points, although Alpha Romeo, much further back with eight. Gene Haas and team have three. And Williams with zero. Uh, if you'd like to join our fantasy leagues for the um last three races of the season, you can do so with the link in the show notes. Uh should we take it to some emails, Danny?
1: Let's do it. Shiftf1 podcast at gmail.com or f1.cool slash emails. This first one comes in from Brad. I uh, wanted to recommend something for our Patreon. Uh, movie reviews, but um, I've also been watching this a lot. I think I mentioned it before, so I wanted to just throw it out there for people to watch uh, regardless of whether or not we do. Um, Brad says, I've been really enjoying Road to Le Mans, which is a Porsche YouTube series chronicling Michael Fassbender's pursuit of racing in Le Mans. It's interesting to see what racing is like outside of people trying to make it in F1, and the series focuses in on a lot of specific racing decisions with drivers view video. I keep watching it, thinking That's I'd love cool. to hear the Shift F One guys' opinions on all this. As of writing, is they're in the middle of season two. The season consists of short seven to eleven minute videos that you can churn through them quickly. Uh, thanks for everything, and that was Brad. Um, yes, I I think I mentioned this last year. I watched last year's series; it was very interesting. This year's series is way more interesting because the stakes are way higher. Um, Fassbender is very like self critical and also a little i don't know if he's accident prone or but he has been making mistakes and so yeah. it's the tension is insane it's beautifully shot cinematography's great um it's very uh honest like his driver like you can see the frustration in his the people around him and the support and it's it's fantastic and it's just an interesting look at like i think it's the type of thing where you when especially when you watch endurance racing whenever I watch endurance racing I always feel like oh, it's just easy to drive these cars, but it's just about the length of time they're doing it and the concentration. And seeing somebody like a normal person try and do this has like, it's a very uh, good way of showing just how impossible driving is. Like that motorsport at a professional level, regardless, like F1 or anything, like even more so than watching something like Drive to Survive, way more so. You, I watch this thinking, how does anyone do this? Like it's just... It looks insanely difficult. Um, yeah, and they're all free to watch on YouTube. And like you said, they're like 10 minutes long and very well put together. They come out every week. I think we're on episode four of season two right now. Um, but yeah, I'll, uh, I'll send you the link to where you can stick it in the notes.
0: Cool. I, I That sounds interesting to me because um, there are a number of insert celebrity here pursues their racing dreams documentaries, which nice. you may be surprised to know, but there are. Um, and that is kind of the most interesting angle of it, of, you know, take a quote, normal person, um, which, you know, basically a person who has not spent every waking moment since they were four in a cart <laughs> of, you know, or a car of some kind. Um, what would it be like? It's, you know, what would it be like if I tried to do this right now, just decided and had theoretically unlimited funds to pursue this. Um, so yeah, that's, it reminds me, I, I saw a, uh, a clickbaity YouTube video a while ago um, that I'll also try to find. Let me make a note here um, where you're, you're, it's, but, sorry, go on. It's called like normal guy, what a, what it's like to drive an F1 car for a normal guy. And it's like this guy who I think was involved with the Renault marketing team or something. Okay. Um, and had, they apparently use, Renault has like old F1 cars that, you know, they can, uh, that really rich people can buy track time with. Um, but they oh, gave wow. it to him, I think as some like, uh you know th- you know thanks for your years of of service for Renault or something something like that so he's but he you know loves racing and uh has raced track cars and things like that so he he kind of knew what he was doing but hadn't ever had the opportunity to get in like an open wheel car like this uh, and like pretty fit guy and the one thing I remember is like he was describing braking into the first turn and he like slams on the brakes as hard as he can and not only does do, like does his head with the helmet uh you know get thrown <laughs> down to his chest because of the uh the g forces and the stopping power like he can't even see like he's looking down oh in his god. lap as he's braking going straight forward but he gets back to the um the pit garage and they were like uh nice job you uh you stepped on the brake um at about 40% pressure so that's uh it's oh pretty good. my
1: god oh my so god I'll, I'll no, link that as well it's oh a, that's all oh, that's terrifying
0: for like the uh, the clickbaity headline and uh, and and thumbnail, it's it was actually a pretty decent. Uh, he he does a good job of describing what it's like for a, a normal person.
1: That's wild. Um, they're they're all on the uh the Porsche YouTube Porsche YouTube channel, which is uh just Porsche, I guess on YouTube. Um, uh, they are highlighting. I've just checked. They're highlighting the season two stuff way higher. So try and look for the playlist. I gave you the playlist. We'll stick in the show notes cool. for season one. Um. Uh, they don't refer to season one as season one in their links. They have weird titles, so just have a little poke around that channel, and you'll find them. Um, you're also a big fan of Love the Beast, aren't you?
0: I do. Yeah, that's basically a documentary about Eric Bana's love of rally cars. <laughs> um, that's been on our our Patreon, uh, Patreon uh, documentary list for a while. But
1: yeah, yeah I still he, never watched
0: it. It's interesting. He's an interesting dude.
1: Who is the basically- other guy we talked about? Was that the the the, the- the doctor from Grey's Anatomy is another one, right? right? He, Dempsey, uh, Patrick Dempsey. Yeah, yeah. he's he's yeah.
2: been at like, at least as of a couple of years ago, he was at like every uh, North American sports car uh, event. He was uh, part part team owner, right? I don't think he drove as much. Uh, but oh, really? He, I've, yeah, yeah. Um, I've seen
1: him drive a few times. Uh, yeah, it's funny. Like, was it Eric Banner said that like he his film career was basically there just to fund his 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 driving passions. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Wild. and Paul Newman, there's a documentary, I think it's The Racing Life of Paul Newman. Yeah. Right. That's what it's called. Yeah. It's funny. I mean, when you yeah. got a lot of money, what are you going to do with it?
1: Yeah, you need expensive ho- race cars. hobbies, right? <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, should I take this next one? Yeah, go for it. All right, this is from Zach H. Zach H says, Hey guys, just wanted to let you know about an F1 driver I recently learned about. Hans Heyer, who may be the most Uh, who has maybe the most impressive hat trick in F1 history below is from his Wikipedia page quote in his single attempt at Formula One, he entered the 1977 German Grand Prix on 31 July, 1977 with the second Penske car of the new German team ATS. Okay. There's a lot of things I didn't know. uh, (laughs) (laughs) here. Um, With little experience in single seaters and a bad car, he did not qualify he was the first reserve, meaning that he would get the chance to race if another driver dropped out. However, uh Hayer chose to start the race anyway, slipping out of the pits and joining the pack without the officials realizing. Only when his gearbox failed after 10 laps it was realized that Hayer should not have been competing, whereupon he was disqualified. He never attempted another race in a single-seat car. He is the only driver to be credited with a did not qualify a did not finish and a disqualification in the same race. Uh Zach goes on to ask, what was his plan? And how did they go all 10 laps without noticing him? Either way, what a legend. Can any of you think of any other flagrant rules violations to this extent in F1 or other motorsports? I'd love to hear them. No, uh,
1: I can't think yeah. of anything as bad as that.
0: I mean, I don't watch, uh, a lot of, I guess, lower tier motorsports, but I imagine stuff like this must happen, you know, like sprint car races or whatever and dirt tracks and stuff.
1: Um, it's bizarre. I think I, I came across this story recently as well. I think it was on maybe F1's YouTube channel. They did a bunch of random things like weirdest disqualifications or stuff that happened. Um, yeah, it's, uh that's fantastic that's fantastic the fact they didn't notice him for 10 laps is my favorite part yeah what was going on in the race that nobody like they were timekeeping these cars
2: presumably it's such a different era though like they're not like now they're all basically chipped right like they're all like Mm -hmm. scanned and RFID'd like all around the track Uh, I assume that's – I don't know if they're just using, like, GPS chip or if they're using some sort of RFID uh, bike tracking uh, tool. I don't Mm. know. But I I imagine it was very different when basically you were just spot-checking cars and, like – Probably way easier to slip out onto the track uh, in those days because like eh, it looks like I have one car. Livery is right. How long would it take you before you realize that you'd seen the same car go by three times or something uh, when you shouldn't have seen it that many times?
0: I think it's probably a a case of he knew this was his only shot.
1: (laughs) Maybe. Like
0: (laughs) he didn't qualify Uh, I mean, it says his, it was his single attempt and not that this caused him to be kicked out of formula one. He probably got like, he scrambled together a bunch of like a bunch of money to be able to enter one race. He doesn't qualify. Whatever. I'm going to go out there. Uh, (laughs) it's too bad. His gearbox failed. (laughs) It would have been great. Could have
1: won.
2: Yeah. I wonder if he passed anybody. (laughs) Yeah.
1: uh rob you want to take this last one from alex
2: yeah uh alex writes there was some talk about pit stops taking longer on this week's podcast and it got me curious if there's any relation between temperature and pit stop mistakes do crews fumble more in the cold is there a preferred range to operate in has there been any statistical examination of this uh pit crew error and temperature i'm not sure has been investigated obviously like track temperature air temperature and like the performance of tires is investigated a lot, but that's an interesting angle, uh, because I would assume it has to be different, right? Like, um, you know, the first thing you cold is like your fingers, uh, when right. you like in, in bad cold, like your, your hands get really stiff and you lose a lot of sensitivity. Um, so I can't imagine that you wouldn't run into more issues. Um, I also do feel like on really warm races, I feel like where where things are heating, you tend you tend to see more like jack seizures. Uh not jack like um yeah, like wheel guns. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. like starting to seize a little bit because like these things are machine tooled so much that like uh like little changes in uh you know the, the the dimensions of a thing due to temperature can can screw things up. But I would be very curious to see if uh Hit crews have an optimal operating uh, temperature, as much as cars do. Do you
1: reckon yeah, they have hand like they've they've like heated gloves or something? Cause, like I yeah, was just about you, to
2: ask that. Right? Imagine because
1: like screwing in a like even like just you know screwing off or putting in a nail or screwing out a, a screw in the cold out in your back garden is like ten times right. harder when it's cold. especially if you've been out there a while. Can you imagine? Like, do they have like these little? warm like little mittens they put their hands in before they go out
0: <laughs> those little uh the little things the quarterbacks put their hands in yeah you know the little little pouch that hangs off the oh, belt is that
1: what that is i think they so have, like little warm warm things and yeah looks like a I see them blow on their fingers as well a lot don't they, uh-huh. they kind of give a little the dry i mean, like...
0: yeah. uh, i think yeah what's if they the warm the guns
1: yeah i wonder although i feel like i feel like that stuff works better in cold almost
2: right it's like well, Maybe if you've
1: got it. if you've got cold metal on the gun
0: touching yeah. hot metal on the tire, oh, that's that kind of probably issues. not
2: good. Yeah. Hmm.
1: It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. What? More questions. We did another email that someone was asking. I didn't include it, but while we're on the whole pit crew thing, they were asking if the pit crew is a specific group of people that was not in the regular engineering pool that came, kind of came out to do it. And,
0: right, um, or if they are engineers who help build the car but then also pull right. double duty as tire changers which i
1: believe it's more the latter i think yeah. that is yeah. the yeah. case yeah, yeah yeah i think but it's funny rob brought up the interesting point of if you split your crews because you do have your pit crew people who are the you know not every engineer is in the pit crew um right. although every i'm pretty sure every pit person is on the general engineering team maybe maybe there are, maybe there are some exceptions but uh, uh yeah well rob was wondering about if you split the crews up on this elongated calendar I wonder if yeah you don't want you don't want Tony's a really he's not great on that front left we gotta make sure Alice is there you know it's like um yeah trying to mix do you think it we'll
0: up. get a movie uh you know Sean Aston really wants to be uh, uh on the pit crew and so <laughs> you see you see them invite him to uh
2: all the mechanics to change one tire to like john todd's <laughs> office and be like give give sean my spot he should he should be the jackman this week
1: well one of the funniest levels in hitman 2 is the miami race level where you uh you knock out one of the pit crew and then become a you can choose i think which which part of the car you work on when it comes in oh and really then you can like yeah i think you can sabotage the wheel or like <laughs> put like a bomb in the gas tank so you choose like which part of the car but you have to go down there and like yeah knock someone out and then you're like she's like who are you what what part do you work on or something it's pretty funny it's great yeah uh, shift uh, f1 podcast.gmail.com or f cool slash emails
0: that's right. And you can also hit us up on Twitter at Shift F1 Podcast. I'm at Drew Scanlon. That is at Danny O'Dwyer and at Rob Zachney. That is us around the Internet. Should we take it around the world, Danny?
1: Let's race around the world. Hey, 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 hey. Yeah.
0: Well, besides Formula One and Formula Two, uh, only Super GT, Super GT is holding it down this weekend at the Fuji Speedway Ooh. in... <gasps> Oko oh, uh, Oyama, sunto Shizuoka Prefecture.
1: Whoa. That's a long prefecture.
0: That's right. <laughs> uh Oyama Cho Sunto Gun Shizuoka Ken. That's how you would say that, I guess, in Japanese. At least that's how no the idea. uh
1: the address is <laughs> is written. I've been playing a lot of Yakuza, but I still don't know much about Japan.
0: What uh, what prefecture does Yakuza take place in? Um
1: osaka prefect i've no idea <laughs> <laughs> okay i think it's in osaka now it was in tokyo for a while but now i'm somewhere else
0: isn't it uh K- Kamurocho?
1: that sounds somewhere. about right is that okay. the part the of the uh,
2: yeah. area of tokyo yeah but yeah. this new one's in a different place right yeah i think I'm you're in like else. fake yokohama or something is that what it
0: is right yeah okay
1: i've been paying uh. attention <laughs>
0: uh Formula One also on this weekend maybe you've heard of it free practice one kicks off november 27th uh friday at 6 a.m eastern time on espn 2 followed by free practice 2 at 10 a.m on espn news the following day, Saturday, November 28th, 6 a.m. Eastern Time on ESPN2 is uh, Free Practice 3, followed by qualifying at 9 a.m., also on ESPN2. And the race, everyone, Sunday, November 29th at 9.10 a.m. Eastern Time on ESPN2. The Deuce!
1: Uh, also worth mentioning that the final two Formula 2 races are happening on these two races. So you uh, should make sure to, if you have not been already, it's been a banger for Formula 2 season. You should check that out. I am quickly checking to see if they are running on the Foval. They are. So the oh. season may come down to a track no one's driven on, which will be very, very interesting. Um, yeah, we'll have to wait and see.
0: All right. Final thoughts, Danny?
1: Or that excited. Uh, do, yeah. They're going to lap these races up. I'm already missing this year's races uh very short break though this we were already scheduling our 2021 stuff for shift f1 and uh because of the later races that you know because everything got pushed back um not all that much of a winter break as it happened so no. uh we don't usually race up into you know yeah. december um i know rob's dog i'm so excited about it too <laughs>
2: final thoughts rob um I am thinking about whether we should change the time we record this at because this is me and prime <laughs> asshole time. Um, and is it dinner time almost? No, or? What? no, Danny, we're within 90 minutes of dinner. And so uh, in, her, in her little dog brain, it is dinner time. Uh, and she doesn't understand why for 90 minutes nobody will just feed her a meal. Um, so that's a small, that's small issue.
0: <laughs> it's 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 fine for me every time uh she barks i make a i press the m key and so it makes a little mark and so i just i mute her nice so, and then and no then,
1: then he's like danny stop referencing it jesus Christ. yeah because then i gotta <laughs> leave those in so
0: <laughs> blame mr O'Guire for all that
1: all right uh
0: if you'd like to support the show and get access to all of our bonus episodes you can do so over at patreon.com slash shift f1 have a good race weekend everyone including dogs see you all next week New.